My name is Father Armando Guzman. I am a retired priest of the Archdiocese of Seattle, and I retired from my last parish, which was uh, Christ the King, uh, Cristo Rey, in Seattle. I want to say a, a, a few words about the, uh, the gospel, because it's one of those uh, readings, uh, it's one of those gospels where you're dropped in the middle of a, of a very important event. So, and it helps to know what happened right before this. Jesus said something very shocking to the disciples. And they responded. <clears throat> he said, if you want to be my, my followers, if you want to be my disciples, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so this is where the gospel begins, right after he said those. The first reading from Joshua has those words. As for me and my house, for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I first uh, remember seeing that when I was trick-or-treating many years ago. Many years ago. Somebody had it on, their, on the front of their house. I thought, well, that is great. There's some believers live there. My challenge to you, if I gave you that a plaque like for Christmas, would you put it up outside? And if not, why not? I want to say one thing about the, uh, the second reading. Uh, I'm on, uh, I want to address it to, to those uh, who are not married and who are thinking about marriage. By the way, it's great to see the young people here. So I address it to them, especially to the guys. If you see a woman that you love, you have no business marrying her if you are not prepared to die for her. It's okay to tell your kids that if you... That's what the church believes. It's embedded in the marriage ritual. Uh, also, I want to... Uh, but I want to concentrate... Uh, I'm, I'm, on this, I'm on this mission of, um, to make sure three scripture verses... Since I was a young priest, I was always impressed when uh, a Catholic would tell me the, ver the verse where something is. Like they knew where it was in the Bible. Because I thought, Catholics don't do that. Protestants do, but Catholics don't. So I'm to, trying to reverse that. And so I have here four scripture verses that I think every Catholic should know where they are. How many people here know and can, and can recite to me how, this, how Psalm 23 begins. Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, we've got to move that number up. We've got to move the needle on that one. You all know this, because you're going to finish it for me. The Lord is my shepherd. See? Okay. It's good to know. Psalm 23. Got it? Okay. Now I know. Many people find great comfort in that psalm. That's why it's the most popular of all the psalms. The second one is the one that I saw. I was watching TV one time and uh, watching a, actually a football game. Mm. I think it was, uh, yeah, it was the Seahawks in the old days. And uh, you know how they scan with the camera, the, the, the fans? Well, it scanned it there, and there was a guy with a big sign that said, John 316. 
And I'm, I'm going at that and say, hey, that looks like a Bible verse. I'm a priest. I should know this. <laughs> so I went to my Bible, and I looked it up, and there it was. You've all heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, etc., etc. You know it, but now you know where it is. See, that guy was evangelizing creatively. He actually became well-known later on because he was going to stadiums all over the country. John 3.16, that is important because, first of all, if you were asked one of our Protestant brothers and sisters, what's the bottom line in the whole New Testament? The bottom line. Which verse would you quote? And they would tell you. It's that one. John 3.16. Because it talks about the love of God which a lot of people need to hear because a lot of people do not believe the infinite love of God that God has for us. That's another one, John 3, 6. Those are, those are all probably the most popular verses. I want to add another one, Matthew 16. And this is particularly for Catholics because people who study these things and people who study deeply the Catholic faith, they call them apologists, they have said that when Catholics are uh, approached by people who want to challenge you or the Catholic Church, 90% of the issues have to do with the issue of authority. All you got to do is walk out those doors and you'll see another church. The reason that we're not together is because of Matthew 16. This is what we say. What does Matthew 16 say? You know it as well. You are Peter, and upon this I will build my... Right. You don't have to get into an argument with him or anything. Just say, what do you think about Matthew 16? Why aren't you a Catholic? You're a Bible-believing person. What do you do with Matthew 16? And they'll probably go, oh, well, well, we don't talk about that. Of course not. Then they'd have to be Catholic if they're really sincere. Matthew 16. If you walk uh, through those doors, you'll also see uh, the American flag on this side. There's another flag on the other side. If you don't know what that is, that's the Vatican flag. Because in Matthew 16, it also says, I will give you basically the keys. The silver one stands for earth. That means you have the authority through, through Peter, the first pope, to bind on earth and to bind in heaven. That's authority. That is true authority. And the fourth one that I would like you to remember, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in a way that you can remember it. How many people here know the three numbers of the beast? Sir? Somebody else is. Six. What's the next number? Six. What's the next number? Not seven. Six, six, six. What you just heard here is John. Gospel we just, you just heard is John. Six, six, six. Now that's just one verse. If you have a message, it'll say John 60. To 69. 
That's too hard for me to, rem to memorize. It's better for me to memorize John 666. And as I was looking through this and researching, I discovered, I didn't read this anywhere, I just discovered, hold it. John 666 says this, and you just heard it. It says, Many of the disciples of Jesus decided to leave. Basically said, Jesus, you're too much. I can't take it. I can't accept this. I can't believe this. You're saying that we must eat your flesh and your blood? You know, remember Jesus, it doesn't say that Jesus said, oh, I'm sorry, it was just symbolic. Come on, come on, come on back, back. What did he say? Peter, you want to leave too? Studies show, people count these things, say about 30% of Catholics do not believe that Jesus is truly present. Body, blood, soul, and divinity in that beautiful tabernacle that you have. You don't believe it. People will come up to you and say, you believe that? What do you say? What do you do with John 666? If it was symbolic, they wouldn't have left. Jesus actually used the word in, in, in the original Hebrew to gnaw on something. That's the closest translation. He wasn't saying it symbolically. There are thousands of churches who are not with us because of this statement, of this Bible verse. It is to be taken literally. That's why the church is very careful to make sure that we are constantly reverent. We must be reverent because that is Jesus Christ. Now, some of us are shocked and are not here because of that. I want to give a, uh, a, dis a definition that I really like for faith. Because we can just throw that word around. Somebody can, might, might ask, what does it mean to you, faith? Here's a good response. Faith is our response. Faith is your response to God's working in your life. Now, I've noticed that Catholics do not like to talk about their, their faith or even God working in their faith, but we must get away from that. Part of evangelizing, which we are called to do, is to be ready to speak about our faith. There are people who need to be inspired by how God is working in your life. I'm sure every person here has a story they can tell about God working in your life. Begin. Work with, when you meet with other people, try to go there. Try this, for instance. Go to a, go to, go to a group of people. If you meet with people maybe every week or something like that, <clears throat> and just listen first. Find out how long it takes before somebody begins complaining. That's not good. We're losing an opportunity to inspire people. But be creative. Begin to talk about how God is working in your life. The world needs to hear what God is doing, that we can give glory to God. <clears throat> 
Uh, earlier this, uh, this month, we uh, celebrate the feast day of John Vianney, a priest from France who, uh, he lived in about 1870, 1876, um, excuse me, 1786. Uh, and he was, uh, when he was a young boy, he uh, basically was not very good at anything. He was quite incompetent. Uh, he tried to become a soldier, and he got lost <laughs> from his, from the group that from the from the other soldiers. But he wanted to become a priest, and when he uh, went to present himself for the priesthood, uh, as they were, as he was taking classes, he basically flunked them all. He, he just couldn't get the Latin. He couldn't get the theology. And if it wasn't for uh, some uh, friends that he had in high places, he would he would have been thrown out. Um, because they saw something in him. One, one gift that he had, he was very, very humble. Very humble. And he responded to everything in his life with faith. He saw God working in his life and he talked about it. But he was humble. So he emptied himself completely and let God fill him. He became perhaps one of the greatest confessors ever. People would uh, come from all over the world. It's also called the Cur of Ours. You might have heard that name. Spending 16 to 18 hours a day in a confessional summer and winter. There were so many people who wanted to confess to him because he had these great gifts. He sometimes would know their sins already. That they had to build a, a train station just to accommodate the people, the pilgrims who were coming from all over the world. He let God fill him up, and he changed the world. I mention him because of he had a tremendous devotion to the Eucharist. He would sit for hours just looking at the tabernacle. Somebody asked him, what are you doing? He says, his response was, I look at Jesus, and Jesus looks at me. How much simpler could that be? Anyway, this is a quote of his. He said these words, and I want everybody that is going to present themselves for communion to think about this as you're coming up, about this host, this, this quote. He said, Every consecrated host is made to burn itself up with love in a human heart. What I see there, he's saying, when you take that host and Jesus enters you, you are to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Jesus, who is love. We must go out of here bringing Jesus by our very presence to them. The word mass, we come to mass, comes from the Latin misse, which is the words, last part of the word dismiss. Sometimes I say to people when I want to get rid of them, you are dismissed. Which means you are, you'll never hear anybody say, what happens at mass stays at mass. You'll never hear that. Because it's totally, well, it's blasphemous. You are to be sent out 
That's what apostle means, to be sent out. And as the consecrated host is burning inside of you, it's supposed to transform you. That's the ideal. So those are the thoughts we're supposed to have at that time. Some people might say, like I first, when I, when I first read this, I go, wow, that's quite a challenge. I don't know. To me, love is, is, so, is so abstract. What do you mean by that? People use it so it's drained of its meaning. But I learned something from Mother Teresa. One thing that she emphasized very strongly, she said, it's very important to, to, that every follower of Christ is first Kind. That's number one. Secondly, she said, kind. Third, she said, kind. And didn't she change the world? She began there. So I tried it myself. I thought, okay, I'm going to go through the day, and I'm going to, as much as possible, try to, to when I look at somebody or people, I'm going to, I want to think kind thoughts. And so I tried this, and boy, I realized one thing. It was really eye-opener. How many times I look at people and I think negative thoughts? I thought, oh, no. Got to get that. Here's my challenge to you, if you dare. Try to make the kind thoughts more than the negative thoughts. That's how you start to be a person of kindness. And as you get good at that, then hopefully those kind thoughts will move into kind words. Kind words. And ultimately, kind deeds. Because love, it's not good enough just to think about love. You say, I love you, man. That's good. But they could say, show me. Love must be expressed. It's a verb. Now, the great St. Augustine said that after communion, we're supposed to give thanks. You know that period when we're all quiet? We're supposed to be using that time to give thanks to God for this greatest of gifts, for God nourishing our soul. There is nothing more important than nourishing our soul. Because our soul is infinitely more important than our bodies. You heard that in John 6. It said, the flesh, the flesh is of no avail. Quit spending so much time on that. Work on your soul. Well, St. Augustine was saying this because he said, we forget. We need to be thankful for this greatest of gifts. We'll never take it for granted. In fact, he said, that moment of, of silence after communion, he said, ideally, it should be 45 minutes. Okay, I, some of you look kind of nervous. I'm not going to do that to you today. But you get the point. I want to end with uh, another quote by uh, uh, St. John Vianney, who, uh, who said this, and kind of sums up what we've been hearing. Our body is a vessel of corruption. 
It is meant for death and for the worms. Nothing more. And yet, we devote ourselves to satisfying it rather than to enriching our soul, which is so great that we can conceive nothing greater. No, nothing. Nothing.